another one of those weeks where we are all over the place but if you want to start by just turning to Proverbs chapter 14 we're gonna get there first um, I didn't really have like a set introduction for us today but the more I was thinking about a lot of what we've been talking about in this series because we've been talking about this idea of this this idea of wraparound care this idea of God calling the church to be the solution for the brokenness that we see in our society specifically with regarding the way that we as the church reach out to those who are struggling through addiction or other sins and we try to wrap ourselves around them and bring them back because we so love them and desire to see them restored to right relationship with God and flourishing in their lives. These are things that we want to see because these are things that are reflected in the heart of God. And I didn't have one of those like patented metaphors that I always have until like yesterday. Um, so I'm, we're big, we're big ETSU fans. We're big, we're big Buck basketball fans. And that game yesterday literally took everything out of me. I don't know how much you guys keep up with it, but it was it was it was tense down by 10 four minutes left and then the guy who brings us back is the guy who's been struggling all season like like a month-long stretch with zero points per game basically it felt like and hometown kid and everybody's like he can do it he can do it and and the thing that I kept seeing was his teammates kept saying we want him shooting we want him to shoot. We want him to do this because we believe in him. We're, they, they were constantly behind him, supporting him, backing him up, wrapping themselves around him, saying, this is going to happen. We're going to bring you back. You're going to be the one who's going to do this. And then in the end, he's the one who hits the game-winning shot with, you know, six seconds left, and everybody in Johnson City loses their voice. Right? But this idea that, that even while he was in his, his like struggles, even while he was down and he wasn't scoring, he wasn't doing all these things, and he felt like he wasn't providing the things that he was able to do, he wasn't flourishing in his role, right? He still had this group of people who were around him that believed in him, that were wrapping themselves around him in the hopes that they could, too, bring him back to what it is that, that he, was, he was so called to do. And, and that still kind of continues to be this theme for this whole series, this idea of we as the church are called to wrap ourselves around people so as to bring them back from the pit of despair that they are finding themselves trapped in, whether that's trapped in, in, in addiction or other sins. But, but we, the church, are the perfect solution for the, the crisis of addiction, the crisis that we are seeing in our country and society around the world, all of these things, we are the perfect solution as the church. And it's not just that we're the perfect solution. We're the desired solution that God has intended all along. Two weeks ago, we talked about how God designed us as individuals to flourish when we are in community, when we are connected to other humans, and that and that community, that kind of connection that the Bible demonstrates, the kind of community that says we are all together all the time and have all things in common. That kind of community, that kind of community that we seek but is so hard to actually find, that that is actually God's design for us. That is the way that he desires to bring us back to flourishing, to bring us back 
out of whatever it is that we find ourselves trapped in. God has designed humanity to be restored through community. And then last week we saw that community, as God designed it, is the best vehicle for healing and that, that specifically it's the church's job. Like we talked about how the church was made it. God's people from the beginning, God has intended all along that that, that, that method of healing be, be served to the world through his church. We are the solution. We are the solution that God desires. We are the solution that God has always intended. The people of God reaching out, wrapping themselves around people. And that's why we've called this wrap-around care. And, I, and I've only, I didn't get, I don't even think I gave, I may not have even given the, uh, the definition that I'm working with through that last week, but I'm going to give it to you one more time. We're calling it wrap-around care. It's the calling of God for his people to be intentionally increasing interpersonal connection with people. Yes, those are three eyes. Yes, that is alliteration. Yes, I am proud of it. <laughs> intentionally increase interpersonal connection, that the church should, should have this, this innate desire that we want to increase the level of community that we have with people, because through that, God is going to bring about their healing. And this week, having talked about the, the mandate that the church be the solution and that the method be through the community of the church that God wants to bring about healing, I want us to, to start checking our hearts and asking ourselves, are we actually prepared to be that for the world? I want us to know if we hear the call and, 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 and try to explore some of the things that we may be feeling, some of the fears, or, or, or I want to just kind of lay out ahead of time, what are some of the things that, that come with being radically obedient to the call of God? And what it is that you may end up facing, what it is that you may end up, up feeling, how that may affect your life. And, and, and I'm not trying to... to absolutely rip off this, this concept, but if you've been reading Radical with us on Wednesday nights, in chapter one, uh, David Platt told this story about when he, was, when he was young and he was being mentored, one of the pastors that he looked up to, he went to his church to listen to him preach, and, he, and, and the title of his sermon, right as he started his sermon, he got up and said, all right, my goal today for my sermon is to convince you not to follow Jesus. And then David Platt was like, oh, that's a really interesting idea, because by the end, so many people were coming up to talk about how to follow Jesus. And so the next week, he had gotten asked to go speak to a college group, and David Platt got up there and he said, it's my goal this week to convince you not to follow Jesus. And it was crickets the rest of the night, and everybody went home. He's like, I think I missed the point of what he was trying to say. But the point of what the pastor that he was studying under was trying to get across is that the call to follow Jesus is a costly one. It is a hard calling. And this same call, this, this call to be the church for a, a, a society that is wrapped up in sin and trapped in sin is not going to be one that is always easy. It's not going to be one that always is fun in the sense that we tend to define fun and enjoyable in our lives. But I want us to know that even though it's hard, it's worth it. Because that's what it takes to get things done. So if you're already in Proverbs chapter 14, I'm going to catch up to you real quick. Uh, Proverbs chapter, just, just as a little background, Proverbs chapter 14, this verse has kind of become my life verse. I love this verse. Um, and I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to let you think about it, what it means for a second. 
and then I'm going to talk about it. So Proverbs 14, we're going to read verse 4. It says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but the abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Think about that. What is he saying? Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but the abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. If you're going to get anything done while you're farming, and, you, and if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this verse, but I love it. If you're going to get anything done in farming, you have to have the right animals to pull the plows to get the things done. But if you're going to have a barn full of ox to pull all of your equipment, there's going to be a whole lot of poop you've got to clean up. So he's saying, to accomplish things, there's going to come mess to get things done. If everything in your life is perfectly clean, if you, have, if you have no mess to clean up, you're probably not accomplishing much, is what he's suggesting here. And so, by virtue of us being called to take action, to be the church, to be the solution, to step into the lives of people who are trapped in sin, it may get messy. Take that may out. Replace it with will. It's going to get messy at some point. At some point, there's going to be there's going to be sadness, or there's going to be hurt, or there's going to be uh, uh, broken relationships. We're going, to, we're, we're going to look at all of that. This is going to be a really fun one for us to talk about today. But like this idea that we can't go into the Christian life, we can't go into obediently following Jesus and the call that he gave us to take the gospel to the world, to the nations. We can't walk into that and assume that everything's going to be super easy. God's just going to bless us. We're going to have everything that we need. Nothing's going to ever, there's going to be no struggle. And everything's just going to be perfect and happy and joyful with, with, with glitter and sparkles and rainbows. That's not going to happen. I know. That's what he's saying. He's saying we're going to face difficulty. Things will get messy. But the more mess there is, the more that we can get done. So what I want us to do this morning is to ask ourselves, as we think about what Jesus has done for us, as he calls us to participate in this ministry with him, the big question is, in your heart, is it worth it? That's the question. I want you asking, your, and I'm not trying to convince you not to follow. I don't want, that's not my goal. I don't, want my, I don't hope by the end of this your answer is no. This sounds awful. Y'all have a good day. I'm out. No, that's not the point. I want to hopefully build the case that it is worth it. But, but at the same time, we have to be checking our hearts. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, like I said, we're going to be jumping around a lot this morning. If, it may end up being easier for you just to start writing references down as we go through. But I'm going to read Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to start in verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What Jesus is saying here is that that for those who have fully understood what the gospel means, that that becomes something that is more valuable than anything else in their life. That is the thing that motivates them. That is the thing that drives them. That is the thing that causes them to wake up in the morning. That is the thing that keeps them going daily. And that they're willing to make sure that they have it. They're willing to give up everything that they must to have that thing. 
They're willing to sacrifice everything. They're willing to sell all that they have because this one thing that they found is so much more valuable than anything that they already own. And so I ask again, when you think about following Jesus, is the gospel worth it? Because, because one of the things that we're going to have to do, and, and, and I love that, that we sang this song right before I came up here, this idea of talking about the great cost that Jesus had to face when he, when he came here so that he could, he could save us. To bring salvation, there was great cost for Jesus. And so to do this, we as a people are called to count the cost, to know what it is that we're getting into. Not saying know what you get into so that you can decide. What I'm, what I'm saying is I want you to have realistic expectations of what the Christian life is. And I want you to have realistic expectations of what this, this call to be the church who God intends to use to wrap around people to bring them back out of their sin. Like if this is who we are going to be as the church, I want you to know what it is that we're getting into. If you're following somebody into battle, if you're following Jesus into this thing, I want you to know what it is that you're walking into because, because he lays it out for us so clearly. I'm just going to give you a couple of quick examples. Genesis 12, 1, from the very beginning, when, when God first called Abram, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, sorry, Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Sometimes God is going to just call us to pick up and go. This was something we read about on Wednesday nights in Radical, I think, last week and the week before. Uh, not everybody's necessarily going to be called to just pick up and go somewhere, but he may, and he has, and he will continue to do that in the lives of his people. It may be that you have to just get up and leave everybody. Everything that you know, everything that you have, just pick up and just start walking, and God will tell you when you get there. Luke 9, 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in here, Jesus is saying, you may be called to just pick up and go right now. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't go talk to people anymore. It may be that you have to walk away from your family. It may be that he calls you to a life of poverty. It may be that he calls you to a place of, I don't have a consistent place for me to live. Jesus' example is, I have nowhere even the foxes and the birds have a place to stay. I don't have anywhere. I'm house to house. I'm, I'm, I'm city to city, place to place. I don't know necessarily where I'm sleeping every night kind of idea. This is the kind of life that he may be calling you to. This is the kind of life that, that pursuing, taking the gospel and taking it to the nations, this, this, may be, this may be something that pulls you away from the comforts of the security of knowing what you have or knowing what you, you have to go back to when you leave this place, even on Sunday. It may be that he calls you to a little bit more uncertainty. But in that call toward uncertainty, that call isn't something that Jesus himself wasn't willing to also live out as an example for us. Even Jesus said, I have nowhere to go. If you want to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. 
wandering from place to place, no luxury. And, and, we, know, and we know from the examples of, of his disciples, they, they thought that they were following the guy who was going to become this great political king, this great savior for them physically on earth. And they were thinking, we're with the right guy. And every turn, he kept saying, no, 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 this is not why I'm here. This is not the life that I'm called to, and this is not the life that you all are called to. This practice is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Um, I'm not going to put the whole chapter up there, but Genesis 22 is the story of, of Abraham being called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. Sometimes God may call us to take the thing that is most valuable to us and say, I want that, and I want you to be willing to give that up. Now, now we know in the end that, that God didn't require Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and instead God provided a sacrifice as a replacement. But he, want, he wanted to know that Abraham's heart was that I am willing to follow you to whatever lengths you are willing to call me so that I can remain obedient to you. He, he had found something more valuable, like a pearl or like, or like a treasure. He had found something of more value than anything that he had, and he was willing to separate himself apart from anything that God had in his life for the sake of pursuing God's calling. This is a really, this is a really, I guess, kind of hard-hitting way for him to say it. But in Luke 14, starting in verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you... Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes at him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation, asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a lot in there. But what Jesus is saying, it makes sense that somebody who's building a building or somebody who is going to war or so, is going to first understand what it is that they're getting ready to face. Now, I'm not saying that we always know everything that we're walking toward when we follow Jesus. Right? That example of Abraham at the beginning when, when God said, come follow me and I'll show you the place that I'm going to take you. Like He didn't know where he was going. But, but part of the cost was being willing to walk away. But he knew what he was wanting. He knew that he was desiring God more than whatever it was that he had. And what Jesus is saying here is, there can be nothing that you value more than the gospel, value more than the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. There could be nothing in your life. It has to, you have to love Jesus so much. We, we as the church, we as those who are saved, are called to love Jesus so much that anything else in our life, it looks as though we hate it because of the difference with which we value those two things. Is that true in your life? He mentioned this briefly in that passage, but in Mark 8, he says it again. And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That calling, take up your cross and follow me, doesn't necessarily resonate with us super well because we don't see a whole lot of crucifixion happening around here. But you have to imagine the picture that he's giving these people who see people lined up along the road stretching from city to city, miles and miles and miles, and there would just be hundreds of people nailed to crosses being crucified, slowly dying from exposure, because you don't die quickly on a cross. You would die from being left out in the heat with no food or water, from animals picking at your body. Like, this was the most unpleasant thing that a human could experience in this society. And what Jesus is saying, you must value me and the gospel because he says, for my sake and the gospels. We have to value the mission and the person for whom the mission calls us and the person by whom the mission is given to us. We have to value that so much more than even our own life that we're willing to face the most excruciating thing that we could face for the sake of his name, for the sake of the gospel reaching around the world. Think about that. That calling. What in your life do you value? And I'm not saying we can't love things. I'm not saying we can't love our family. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say, I want everybody to go home, call somebody that you love and say, I hate you. <laughs> this is not the practical application. But ask yourself, does your life look like as you proclaim that you believe the gospel, you believe what Jesus has called you to? Are there things in your life that people would question whether or not you loved those things more than Jesus? Knowledge of where you're going. Security of a place to lay your head at night. Comfort. Family. Friends. Relationships. Does your life reflect that you value Jesus over those things and are willing to walk away from those for the sake of the gospel should he call you to it? Or are you holding on tightly to those things? And I ask you these questions because I want you to know if you really, because I think we need to know what it is that we're called to as the church and be ready for what we're going to face as we pursue Jesus. Because, because I, I will be the first to tell you I have a lot of comforts in my life. I do. But are we willing to walk away from those things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of pulling people back out of sin? The, the, the influencing idea for, for preparing this series was, was addiction, but I haven't really talked about addiction a lot. But, but I, I just want to reiterate this idea. Addiction is so a part of our society, but it takes so much for us to commit to serve people who struggle with addiction. 
It is costly. It is painful. All of us have probably different relationships with this idea of addiction. And, and it will, will, will react, will feel it differently. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel, feel ashamed if that's something that they struggle with or something they have struggled with in the past or, or they know people who have struggled with this or they're related to people who have struggled with addiction. I'm not trying to make this about that. I'm trying to make this about does our love for the gospel and these people that we want to see love Jesus just the way that we do overpower our love for the other things that are present in our lives? And I would imagine many times the answer is no. I would imagine many times when we count the cost, we say, eh, I'm good. Maybe we don't say it out loud. Maybe we don't verbally say, I'm choosing this over Jesus today. But we just kind of passively go through our lives. We kind of go about what we're doing. And we don't feel the weight of the gospel pulling us toward some sort of obedience that we're too afraid to go toward, to follow after. I'm going to reread just a couple of verses from that Luke 14 passage that we read a second ago. Because I, want, because I, think, I think this goes back to one of the, the, things that, the reasons that I think it's important that we, we look at this idea of counting the cost and preparing ourselves for what it is that Jesus is calling us to. So back in Luke 14, I'm just going to read verses 28 through 30. He said, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This, be, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I want us to know what it is that the gospel calls us to. I want to give you an accurate representation of what it is that this calling may entail for you. Because, because I don't want you to say, I'm, off, I'm following Jesus, let's go. Where are we going? Let's go. I'm ready. All in. Let's go. And then you didn't realize just how costly following Jesus might be. You didn't count the cost. You weren't prepared. Your heart didn't know. You had unreasonable expectations of what the gospel called you to. You had unreasonable, an unreasonable expectation of, well, God's going to give me comfort. God's going to give me health. God's going to give me whatever it may be. And, and you've built up a, a false gospel in your mind. You didn't understand what the cost of following Jesus might, looks like, might look like. And so, so you think you know what you're doing. You start to build this tower. You start to go on mission. You start to follow him. And then you don't follow through. You don't finish. Because it gets hard. I mean, there's, there's the parable that Jesus teaches where, where the, the seed kind of gets thrown out all over the place. And, and some seed never even takes root. Some seed grows up and is healthy. And some starts to grow up, but it didn't have a deep enough root. It didn't have a deep enough understanding of what it was supposed to be doing. It couldn't connect to the source of life in the way that it needed to. And it withered away. It fell away and died. I bring all this up because I don't want us to be a people who are going to, to say, I'm ready to pursue Jesus in a way that seems radical to the world around me, in a way that, that, that pursuing this level of community that we're talking about that looks weird and people start accusing me of being a part of a cult and all of which has happened. Has happened. It's another story for another day. But I don't want you to, to head into this 
wholeheartedly only to hit some roadblocks. Things get tough and start having this, this, this cost of following Jesus be recognized and say, I didn't realize it was going to cost me this much. I don't have enough. And then fade away. I want us to know what the gospel means, what the gospel calls us to. And you may be thinking, man, this sounds so hard. You're not really selling me on the whole Jesus thing. You're not really selling me on the whole pursuit of Christ. This doesn't sound like fun. This sounds impossible. How can somebody live this life in this way? Because we follow a God who works the impossible. And sometimes we have a horrible attitude with when God calls us to do something that's hard or seems impossible. We studied Genesis a little while back, and, and this, this section of Genesis 17 is just so reflective of who we are sometimes when God calls us to certain things. Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then, and this is us, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? In the next chapter, it says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? That's who we are sometimes. When God calls us to something hard, we laugh. There is no way that God can accomplish that through me. There's no way that God expects that following him and, and leaving behind everything is going to work out. There's no way that this thing can work if I don't have the safety and security and the comforts of the things that I know, that I love, the things that I have. There's no way that I can survive without this person in my life or that person in my life. There's no way that I can survive without... We come up with so many things that, that make us sound like this is laughable that God would call me to this or that God would say he's going to do this. And it's so easy to associate ourselves with Abraham and Sarah and just laugh at it and say, that sounds silly, God. Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Later on, or earlier on in Matthew, he also said in chapter 9, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I say these things to, in a sense, build up a, a sense of impossible dread in us, this idea that, wow, that sounds really difficult. That sounds really hard. That sounds like something that I don't have the inner fortitude to want to go toward. If somebody called me to pick up an instrument of torture, drag it across a field, and then die a slow, painful, and gruesome death while people mocked me, I don't think I'm really built for that. Man, it seems really hard to go get in tight, close community with a bunch of people who are sinful and are going to hurt me, and are going to 
let me down. It seems really hard. It seems impossible to find community in such a small group of people who have so many things going on in their lives. And then they don't, they don't always do a good job of managing their time. That's me. Man, it seems so hard to think with, with as widespread as the addiction crisis is in our country that our church, even, even our church here, as small as we are, 25 to 35 people, could do anything about that. That seems impossible. And with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So pray that God would send people out. Pray that God would, would call us and put us out into these places. Pray that God would empower us. Pray that God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, would work out miraculous things among us because, because He can accomplish these things that He calls us to even if we are incapable. We can lean on Him when it seems impossible that we could find community with the body of Christ. Or when everything that we've ever known, everybody that we've ever had a relationship with at some point has let us down and it seems like this, this doesn't seem fun. Or, or that call to leave everything, leave comfort, leave security, to walk away from that. that, that seems like too much. I don't know that I could handle that. If I went into it right now, I don't think, just like the guy who didn't count all of his money before he started building the building, he didn't have enough, he wasn't ready and he wasn't able to finish. I'm pretty sure if I went into that right now, I wouldn't be ready. I don't think I could finish. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could throw myself all in in such a way that I would ever get to that point that God is calling me to. It's just, I don't have it in me. Maybe that's how you're feeling. But I want us to feel that sense of desperation and then look to Jesus who is able to accomplish all of these things and has. Because it's not like this is a calling that's just for us to walk away from the comforts and the safety and the security of everything that we have. We already have a perfect example in Jesus. Other favorite passage, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is a beautiful picture of community. That is a beautiful picture of what it is that God is calling us to. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves before one another, just like we were saying. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this is it. This is the point. Who, though he was in the form of God, though he had all the comfort and safety and security that he could have had, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not trying to call us to something that Jesus hasn't already done for you. Jesus has already walked this path. He's already given up far more than we could ever give. He's already faced so much more torture than we could ever be called to. You, you, think, you think it sounds hard to say, I'm going, I, I, what, if I lose, what if I lose my house or my car or my job? Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus left his father. He left heaven and he came to be here. You, say, you may say, but, but what about, what about the, all these potentially painful and awful things that were happening? Jesus faced every single one of those. Even more so, as the only one who lived a perfect life, he took our sins upon himself, facing the greatest pain that he could have felt, the pain of being looked on by God as sinful, as he took our sins on himself. There's no calling in here. There's, no, there's nothing that we're called to face as followers of Jesus that he has not already endured on our behalf so that we could even be part of this mission. So I ask us again, does the gospel, does Jesus look like something so much more valuable than anything that we already have, that we're willing to set aside, sell all, walk away from all that we have for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the name of Jesus. Let's pray.